0: make me look like the biggest ass ever. Wow, how's your marriage going? Jeez, excuse me, I'm burping. I should have warmed up my memory before this. Oh shit, no, hold on. You can totally say no and cut this out. I know what cojones are. Cut that out, boop. That's redone it. Sorry to cut you off because I know you're about to talk. Oh, she's dead.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games podcast. Yay! This is episode 64. <laughs> my name is Delton. I'll be your host today. With me, of course, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy. And we have a very special guest and friend today on this episode, Mr. Alan Gerding. Woo! Yay. Hey, that's me.
0: I'm Alan Gerding. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. I love you guys. I miss you.
1: We love and miss you, too, and we're glad that you were okay with coming on the podcast.
2: Yeah, you're our first remote guest, and we really appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday to join us.
0: Well, tickle me special. Oh my goodness, first remote guest. That's a big deal.
1: It really is, and only the third guest total that isn't people that live within a mile of our house, so even better.
0: Wow, man, (laughs) this is going into my MDB
1: page, my (laughs) resume. You got to have a plaque. We'll make a plaque, hang it on your wall, it'll all be good.
2: Oh, we should totally do that. Be prepared.
1: Be super prepared. For those of you listeners who do not know who Alan Girding is. Where have you been? Where have you been? And why haven't you been listening to more of our podcast? Because Alan is one of the co-owners of the Tuesday Night Games, the Tuesday Night Games, Tuesday Night Games, and co-hosted slash hosts Tuesday Night Games podcast. I don't know if you want to consider that still being continued because I know you have plans. That's right.
0: Yeah. It's on hiatus right now, but... It should be back in chapters or seasons. So instead of just shotgunning out episode after episode after episode, because we were a weekly podcast, and that was hard to keep up with, let me tell you. Oh, my goodness. Instead, we decided to do sniper focus from here on out. After 200 episodes, we thought, hey, let's wait until we have something really special to share and do that. The reality behind the scenes is, I'm just so busy with life that it was killing me trying to get the podcast up and ready in time because of my everyday job of being a college
1: professor. <laughs> so that's a good that's a good segue into your background. Uh, growing up outside of Cleveland, uh, you got your master's degree in...
2: Clinical psychology. Clinical
1: psychology. You worked in California for a while at a prison. You are now a professor of psychology and a board game designer. So, I guess, is there anything you want to elaborate on there on kind of how you made the jump from psychology as a profession outside of teaching into board game design and teaching? I guess if that makes sense as a question. Give us your autobiography. There you go.
0: Sure. Quick correction, though. Not that anyone gives a poop. (laughs) I practiced in North Carolina, and then I moved to California to practice, but the prison system was in North Carolina.
1: Oh, my mistake. No problem. I don't know where he read that. I guess I have to update my IMDB (laughs) page. (laughs) We've talked a lot about it, and I think I just mixed up the facts. That's all.
2: I told him Wikipedia is not a great place for fact-checking.
1: It's true.
0: Well, I came back to Ohio, Cleveland area, because I wanted to teach. In fact, in my first psychology class that I ever took, it was in a community college, Cuyahoga Community College in the Cleveland area. Which, by the way, it's known as arguably the best community college in the nation. Anywho. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They rank it based on success and people graduating and the things they do afterwards. But point is, when I took my first psychology class there, I was blown away and pretty much vowed right there and then, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That guy's job is amazing, pointing to my professor. Not that I wanted him fired and I wanted to take his place, but... I also wanted to be a (laughs) psychology professor because it was so fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. I loved it. In fact, (laughs) I went home that day. I made that realization and I made an AOL email address. Oh, boy. Because back in that day, AOL was the equivalent of Gmail today. It was the most prolific. It wasn't something to be embarrassed of back then in the 90s. But eventually... I became that professor at that school, Cuyahoga Community College, and I used that email address because that vow was I would use that email address almost like someone writes themselves a check for a million dollars, and they say, one of these days, I'm going to cash that check because I'm going to be... It was like that. It was like, one of these days, I'm going to be a psychology professor. I'm going to write it. So after doing clinical work, I came back and interviewed with one of my old professors. And when I say interview, I meant I just had a meeting with her saying, hey, there's no job openings right now, but I really want to teach. That's actually what I want to do. And she said, well, you can have one of my classes, which was a huge deal. She actually took money out of her pocket basically and gave it to me because you get paid per class that you teach. And so she decided she wouldn't teach one of her classes and let me teach it for her. Wow. And that was my foot in the door. Why am I telling you about my psychology teaching is because you don't get paid a lot of money as a part-time teacher, as adjunct faculty. The big bucks is when you get it full-time. But I was told very specifically that I would not get full-time. And even though I kept on trying out for it or whatever, doing the interviews when there was an opening spot, I wasn't getting it. So I thought, man, what am I going to do to make money? because I was already working five jobs, including a water delivery guy.
1: Oh, wow. So it was funny.
0: Yeah, I was actually going house to house delivering water, like the whole distillata guy that you see going into places with all those water jugs. I loved it. It was a cool job. But anyway, that was one of them. I was doing tutoring for the school, but also private tutoring. I was also doing swim instructing. So I was doing five different jobs at once to try to make the bills get paid. And I said, man, I... Instead of doing all this playtesting for games, I think I should just make my own game. And uh, Sean McCoy, my business partner and I, Mm -hmm. started Tuesday Night Games. We launched the Kickstarter for Two Rooms in a Boom. And then I got a phone call from Cuyahoga Community College saying, Hey, we want you to teach full time. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It all happens at once. So now I have no life whatsoever. Uh, throughout the week, I am doing nothing but teaching. And then the weekends, I'm trying to catch up on Tuesday night games work.
2: Wow, what a great origin story. Like you spoke it into the universe. Like this is what I'm going to be. I made an AOL email. I have committed to this. And then it happened. You manifest it. It's wonderful.
0: I really wish everyone had that type of experience because I know so many people who struggle with what they're going to do with the rest of their lives and what direction they're really going in. And I think that's especially true during these strange times we're living in right now with unemployment, obviously peaking and people going on furlough. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I'm not trying to brag or belittle anyone. I just want people to know that I totally respect how much of a gift that was to know exactly what I wanted to do with my life. And people have asked, well, your game company is doing so well. When are you going to quit teaching? And the answer is never because I love teaching without it. I don't feel good at all. It's I would do it for free is what it really comes down to.
2: It sounds like you're really grateful for where you are. I, hard work. You, I mean, you, you know that you put in the hard work, but you're also very grateful of the opportunities that have been given as well.
0: You're such a clinician. Look at that. Isn't, isn't she empathetic active listening skills yeah i was taught those things too there Haley. but i think you do them better than i do you're good at this
1: thanks she's very good at this which is why she takes part in all the podcast things <laughs> she definitely uh people don't realize but she is a crutch for me In i talk about social situations just everyday conversation she keeps me there uh With with her active listening ability.
2: I also get them out of sales pitches, too.
1: That's very true. I tie up the
2: conversation with the bow and like peace (laughs) out. just like end of session. Boop, we're out.
1: Right.
0: (laughs) Man, I want to know exactly how you do that, though, Haley, so all of us can learn. Could we role play? I don't want to put this on you. You can totally say no and cut this out. But I want to be a pushy salesman for Delton, and and I want to hear how you would- stop this how
1: would you shut this down okay
2: so so do you need to start like rubbing your hands together and looking away
0: all right
1: i'm gonna start being awkward and being like "Uh uh-huh okay oh so here's the
0: so the gym membership is more affordable the more you go for so we have a month to month but i think we should go ahead and sign you up for a year-long membership that way you save yourself money in the long run and you have the freedom to just come and go whenever you please, instead of having to sign in and sign out and doing a punch card system. So, uh, do you want to do one year or a three year package?
1: Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'd like to talk to the wife about this and, you know, gauge her opinion. Well, I understand. We should totally
0: get her involved as well. We can get her membership. In fact, that reminds me, we have a family plan. Now, there's only two of you, you can find one more person. And it, technically, it doesn't have to be a family member. It could be a close friend but you'd all be under the same account. So it'd have to come from one payment source. But if we start that payment plan and we do an annual plan for that, it'll save you even more money.
2: That sounds like so, a really awesome thing you have going on there. You know, if you don't mind, um, we really are interested in that three-year plan. Um, but we, uh, anytime we make a financial decision, we want to talk about it. So if it's okay, I'm going to take your card. We're going to talk about it tonight. Whenever we make that decision, I'll make sure that you get the credit.
0: Here's the thing. That deal is done by midnight tonight. That's the awkward thing. So we're going to need that yes now because I can't promise you these rates the next day.
2: You know, we're so interested in this gym that the deal doesn't even matter, but we'll get back to you.
0: So your technique is lying. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
2: No, not really. Because I mean, I might actually be interested in that gym, but the thing is that um, I just want to make sure that they feel okay, that we feel okay. Because the thing is, we might want to come back and do it. It's just like whenever we had that Guy who wanted to spray our house, and he's like, no, the deal's over at midnight. Well, I know the deal's not over at midnight, man. I've been in sales for four or five years myself. And it's so true. we we took the card, and the next day we thought about it, and we called back, and we got our got our house sprayed.
1: That's true. Oh, nice.
0: <laughs> so you didn't go back. For me, one thing I've done, and I've done with my wife, Crystal, my partner in crime, is that we decided we would never make a decision the same day it was proposed for those kind of type of things. And it saved us so much time. One thing I didn't realize is how many, once you become a homeowner, how many door-to-door salesmen actually still show up and they pull that line of, well, today's the only day, you gotta do it. And our canned response is, we have a family policy. We never buy something the same day it's presented. So that's a no-go because that's, a that's really good sketchy one. as all
1: hell. Yeah, It's so crazy.
2: That's a great. Idea. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take that into consideration now.
1: Yeah, that's a really good, uh, really good plan.
2: New family policy, Delton. There we go. Executive <laughs> order as of now.
0: That works out. Yeah, my out is usually, "Hey, do you have a website so we can research this, etc." Like, well, no, we got to make the decision now. Well, then it's no deal because we have to. It's family policy.
1: That's really cool. I yeah. think that's worth instituting. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. Back to, <laughs> back out of this toward the psychology and, you know, work element. Uh, one of the good things about, I feel like, your two jobs as owner of Tuesday Night Games and also being a professor, um, I know you were talking about being fortunate and lucky that it, it worked out the way you wanted. I think another great thing is those are both passions of yours. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel like a lot of us, I work a job and I'm fortunate right now my job is considered essential, so I have to go to work, but I'm still being paid, I still have you know, a job right now. And I'm still getting to do the podcast and things on the side, but my job is not a passion of mine. I do it because it makes me money. I'm good at what I do and I know it, but I don't know how many people have that, you know, uh, just the ability to have a job they're passionate about and hobbies they're passionate about that can also be a form of income. And it's just, you know, it's a really neat place to be in.
0: Delton, what's your dream job?
1: It's bounced around so much. I used to want to be a studio drummer because, uh, not to brag, but I'm a pretty decent drummer. He's a really good drummer. And I've always wanted to do that. And then I really wanted to open a brewery for a long time and then a board game cafe and then something in the board game industry. And it's just, it's morphed itself to, I want it to involve a hobby. I just don't know in what capacity that hobby is involved and what exactly the position would be. I
0: thought of starting a board game cafe as well when I was looking at jobs. I'm so glad I went with the publishing company instead of the board game cafe. I did interviews where I went to some board game cafes and game stores and asked them, Hey, do you like the decision Any regrets? Is this a good deal? Should you recommend this to other people to become a board game cafe owner? And of the three people I asked, all of them said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. I asked why. And most of their answers were because you live here, because in order for it to be profitable, Mm -hmm. you have to be the one manning everything because you can't really afford to have employees. Now, I don't think that's still the case. Because keep in mind, this was over a decade ago. Oh, okay. So
1: Before the big boom.
0: Before the big boom, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what's crazy to me is realizing that's how old Tuesday Night Games is, that we were wow. one of the people on the forefront of Kickstarter, which is crazy to me, crazy to me. But Delton, I have to ask you about the drums. Do you have your drum set nearby? Uh, it
1: is in the closet by us. sadly not meaning set Meaning it's up. not set up. It's I can go get
2: up. a cajon for him if
1: needed. I do have a cajon and a djembe, which is very untuned right now in the living room.
0: I just would love... And I think your listeners would love, too, just hearing, even if it's off
1: in the background, some drums clanging.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go get the cajon. I'll be back.
1: Oh, my goodness. Is this happening? Well, Haley's oh. going to run, I guess, and grab the cajon. Uh, if you don't know what a cajon is, it is a cajon is essentially a box that you sit on. And uh, it's, most of them were made of wood. Now they have a hard plastic sides and back. The front is a wood panel that's either screwed on or held on in some way. And there's a hole in the back for the sound to escape. And inside, it's hollow with some sort of either wire or little beads or something held up against the front face of the box. That way, when you hit it, it rattles those. So it's a very interesting, you'll have to look one up on the internet. It's K-A-J-O-N. Sorry, K-A-C-A-J-O-N. I don't even know how to spell.
2: I have delivered the cajon in a, what is this?
1: A mini djembe? Uh, I'm not going to play that because that thing just sounds like you're beating on a piece of metal.
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's like a little mini djembe that my three-year-old niece loves and plays more than Delton.
0: This is basically your job interview because maybe (laughs) on this podcast, someone out there who is looking for a drummer will hear it and they'll hire you to do your dream job (laughs) of being a drummer. No pressure, sir. But this is basically the equivalent of your album
1: being sent out to all the potential producers. (laughs) The Beach Boys
2: might be listening right now.
1: Right. It's no pressure, but you need to practice now, immediately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Super short. Like, he has to actually sit on the cajon and everything.
0: Here's what I'm hoping for. The worst thing would just be mediocre. The best would be absolute garbage or gold. So, if you're going to do it wrong, do it strong. If you're going to do it well, rock it.
1: I'm just going to do a very short, simple thing. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear it. Enough. I don't. Beautiful. I don't know if that comes across at all, and my hands are very cold and not warmed up. Listen to those excuses coming excuses. out. I love it. I love it. They call that self handicapping
0: in the psychology business <laughs> when people give excuses like, oh, I didn't even study for the test. My hands are cold. I didn't warm up." <laughs> so don't judge me on that alone. That was great, man. I Look. loved how it was in the background. This is total improv. <laughs> you didn't know I'd be telling you to do this. Nope.
1: I really do not.
0: (laughs) I don't know why you don't use that as your intro music instead of your actual (laughs) record player.
1: I thought about about doing something and trying to make some little intro song, but uh, I have found recording it in the manner in which I want it to be recorded is difficult. And so until I figure that out, uh, I'll use what I've got. But one of these days, I can get my big drum set set up and just go for it.
2: You have inspired him now, Alan. Inspired.
0: I love the grassroots though. You can totally just do it Poor audio quality, and I know that I would appreciate <laughs> just the sincerity of you just putting your all into something without the equipment to really capture it.
1: Well, I appreciate that. One of these days, one of these days, I'll do it. And you'll be the first to know. I'll send it Sweet. to you to check it out. Be like, is this okay on a cassette? <laughs> on a cassette, I'll we'll, mail a cassette. I'll we'll mail a cassette,
2: cassette to you with like masking tape <laughs> yes. on it, labeled "Delton's Music."
1: Delton's mixtape Could mix you
0: tape. could you mail me a cassette player too? <laughs>
1: I can probably find one at the thrift shop. Oh, yeah. There's a Salvation Army right here.
2: We we got you. We got you. I'll
1: disinfect it first since, you know, the whole coronavirus. (laughs)
0: Now, you two are young enough that cassettes weren't really a thing anymore while you were growing up. Am I wrong in thinking that?
2: I had a cassette player until I was probably about seven or eight, and then (laughs) I got a Britney Spears CD whenever I was about eight or nine years old. That's the transition that I remember.
1: I would say mine's about the same. Uh, our vehicles had cassette players up until I was probably driving my own at fifteen or sixteen.
2: Yeah, I had a two thousand four oh, wow. Dodge Durango as my first car. And I had a cassette player and a CD player Ooh. and a little uh, was it AUX jack that I can plug my phone into to play my play my music.
1: Oh, I used to have to buy the little cassette tape that had the cable. You put it in and it worked as an auxiliary cable to plug Ooh. your like iPod in back when iPods were a thing. Little iPod shuffle. Yep.
0: Here's what a lot of people don't realize that CDs murdered once they came out with compact discs yeah. with cassette tapes and all cassette players. They almost all had a built in mic and record button oh. so you could record over your cassettes. Oh, so I remember as a kid just constantly making little fake. What are now considered podcasts before they even really had podcasts? I remember as a little kid, I was like, Welcome to W. Are You OK? The radio station from Cleveland, Ohio. We don't have enough money to play music, so we can only play commercials. And all it was was my little stupid kid self doing <laughs> sketch comedy uh. for all these stupid commercials. And I would give a finger to have one of those cassettes, but I have no idea where any of them are anymore. But that's what I used to do for birthday gifts and just random presents, to the point where it probably annoyed people, like, hey, the latest episode of Are You is out. That's awesome. Kids growing up with CD players, and now it's coming back, obviously. Look look at us now, because people are becoming more savvy with digital and recording, et cetera. But yeah, you didn't really have that option so easily accessible.
2: We should we should totally remake some of those. If we can't find them, at least re-release.
0: I don't think so. I'm sure the humor <laughs> is just super awful. Awful.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is what you need to do is you need to find a way, find an old cassette deck that can record like that and record some of those to be used in some of the derelict stations in a mothership session. Yes! So good. I think that yes. would be so great. That's also going to lead us into talking about some of the games that you guys produce at Tuesday Night Games and some of the ones you've designed yourself. So, obviously, you started, as you said, at the very early stages of Kickstarter coming in with arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, party game in the board game industry, Two Rooms and a Boom. Correct. So, one of the things we wanted to discuss with you was kind of your creative process, and Two Rooms and a Boom is a game... If people haven't played it, they at least have heard of it for the most part. I'll let you describe what it is. But then if you could talk about kind of the process of how you came up with the idea and how you and Sean, you know, put the idea to paper, whether it was a theme versus mechanics first, that sort of information.
0: All right. Well, I'll give you the quick pitch for Two Rooms and a Boom that I've given a couple of times. (laughs) Welcome to two rooms in a boom. It's a party game. That's always a blast. Imagine two rooms full of people. You got 30 people all together. So 15 people in one room, 15 people in the other. You take a deck of cards, shuffle them up. These cards have red team members and blue team members. So we deal them out. In one room, you are going to have some red and blue team members. In another room, you're going to have some red and blue team members. Timed rounds. That way, you know, it doesn't last forever. A three minute round, two minute round, one minute round. At the end of every round, there's a hostage exchange players switching rooms will shuffles up the rooms this is important because when the last round ends everyone reveals who they are this is important because one of the blue team members is the special president and one of the red team members is the bomber and if the president and the bomber are in the exact same room at the end of the game boom president gets blown up and red team wins but if they're in opposite rooms that means the president didn't get blown up and blue team wins so two rooms in a boom is all about working together figuring out who everyone is and sticking to your rooms. You can do whatever you want with your card is the amazing thing. So you can show nobody, but if I say I'm on blue team and you don't believe me, I can just show you my card. But better yet, I can just show you the bottom of my card so you see I'm on blue team, but you don't know what character I actually am. Am I a regular blue team member or am I the president? Or am I even that? Because there's over 75 unique characters in just the base game alone, including the spy, which has a blue bottom, but is on the red team, whereas a red bottom, but you're actually on the blue team. Characters like Zombie, Leprechaun, all sorts of different things that mix it up, including different teams. So instead of just being on red team and blue team, you could have your own unique win objective. That's Two Rooms of Boom.
1: Boom. There is the elevator pitch, basically.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So in terms of Two Rooms Boom, how did you come up with that idea?
0: Sean and I became really quick friends. We met at the Gamma Trade Show in Las Vegas. So I met Sean in Las Vegas and we decided we liked each other and spent all night hanging out to the point where we quickly became very, very close, calling each other on the phone all the time, just talking, oh, and eventually gabbing about how it would be cool if we started our own board game company. That would be fun. In the meantime, I'm engaged and I'm about to get married to my partner. So I have this engagement party, which I called Crystal Con named after crystal (laughs) awesome (laughs) so it was a whole weekend thing so sean flew in and spent all weekend living at my house as we just partied with this board game convention and sean said hey i know you design card games board games and that's how he kind of met me is i was a playtester for mage wars by arcane wonders Mm -hmm. and he worked for arcane wonders at that time but also i had all these other game ideas that i had shown them and they were interested in publishing, including Woo Wee, which we now call Hanzi. Have you, either of you, gotten to play
1: Hansy? I haven't. I got to play it. Um, it was BGG. Totally Con- not 18. your thing. 18. Totally not my thing. Uh, <laughs> what is it for the type of game it is? I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's just not my style of game. So
0: Hanzi, <laughs> you want to explain it? You give the pitch if you uh, remember it, Delton. I'd like to hear what you remember.
1: Uh, okay, so what I remember this—I'm this, probably going to butcher it. Uh, from what I remember is everybody has, is everybody, I think everybody has cards. You basically play a card out. It tells you something to do. So like the gorilla was you pound on your chest or the cop was you, sh- you know shoot a gun. And it was something about two people have to copy each other. I don't remember enough, but you're doing these crazy actions. And then at some point something happens where it's a race to be the first one to do every action that has already been played on the table. And if you're the la- like first one to finish, you basically like slap the middle card, and then you win uh, that round or whatever and take those cards. That's what I remember. I know I'm missing a lot. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad, sir. The
0: truth is we switch it so that it's sign language, so you actually learn mm-hmm. sign language as you do it. You have a deck of cards, oh. and everyone simultaneously flips over their top card and does what their card tells them to do. If your card doesn't match anyone else's, no problem. You just move on. Everyone's card then goes into the middle of the table and creates this spiral. But if your card matches someone else's and you look across the table and you see that you're doing the same thing someone else does, then you have to race to the center of what we call the spiral. Get to the center. That game I had made, originally called it Woo Wee, renamed it Hansy, the Hansiest game. Hands down the Hansiest game around. That's the pitch. the pitch. Ah. The tagline, hands down, the handsiest game around. Anyway, I showed them that. He said, Hey, going back to the story, you make games. I have an idea for a game. I'd love to make it with you. And I said, Time out. Because plenty of times as a game designer, people come up and say, Hey, I've got this an idea for a game. And I think game designers pretty much know you're supposed to stop someone before they start sharing their idea and say, Whoa, 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 wait one second. Is this a gift you're giving me? As in, Here's an idea for a game that you can run with and do on your own. Or is this something that you're making on your own that you're just asking for a little advice on? Or is this something you totally want to collaborate on where it's a team effort where in the end, your goal is that we publish this game together? And he said, oh, that's an interesting question. Well, I guess I'd want to work on it together. He said, I have this idea of a hidden role game because Sean had never played Werewolf before he had met me. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? He didn't even know about it, which is crazy to me. And he loved Werewolf so much. He said, we need to make a better version of werewolf. Showed him resistance. Resistance was too confrontational. Mm -hmm. It was too tense. People would just fight. The game would go on forever. And basically, if you're a jerk in resistance, you win. You win. It's a tried and true strategy. If you just become emotionally manipulative, you can really win at resistance. So he said, I want to make a hidden role game that is like werewolf but quick like resistance but not as tense etc and i have this idea of a bank robbery where there's like police on the outside and there's hostages on the inside and there's basically these two different play areas outside and inside and that's what i have and i said that's really interesting that two different play areas standoff hostages give me 20 minutes And I'll come back with something. It's like, "Okay, all right. Because I was cleaning up. This is after Crystal Cannon ended. And then 20 minutes later, I said, here's the idea. You got two rooms. You got two teams, a president, a bomber. It's like, that sounds amazing. So we went on and we actually made the cards that night. Within two hours, Sean used his Photoshop skills. So within this, no joke, five hour span of talking about it, we had our first prototype printed out. And cut up. Wow. And the next day there was protospiel was going on in Michigan. So Sean and I got in my car and we drove to Michigan to protospiel together with this and we played it. And this crazy thing happened that had never happened to me yet. And we had publishers vying for it. Meaning uh, one publisher said, I want to publish that. But another publisher said, no, no, forget that. I want to publish it. And that is very rare. You typically don't hear of publishers getting into kind of a bidding war mm-hmm. over publishing a game. And we made the stupid mistake of saying, you know what? We're not going to let any of you publish it because we're publishing it. Welcome to <laughs> Tuesday Night Games. doop 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 And that's the story of how Tuesday Night Games and Two Rooms and Boom came about.
1: Nice, that's awesome. I have not heard that story before. I
2: hadn't either. That's wonderful.
0: So you asked, how do we approach game design? Sean and I approach games traditionally in the two opposite approaches in this continuum of theme versus mechanics. Now, there's more than just theme versus mechanics, Mm -hmm. but overly simplifying it, a lot of designers Mm -hmm. think that there is this continuum on where you start. I start on mechanics. Basically, I say what mechanic would work really well inspiring a feeling, and that arguably is the third factor. So instead of this straight line, there's actually more of a triangle of what emotional experience are you trying to get. That's really what I Ah, come from, but I come from, from a mechanical standpoint. What do I want people to feel? And with two rooms and a boom, it was definitely, I want people to not feel resentment. I want people to feel closer than they did before the game started. So after the game, I have more friendships where resistance had that opposite mm-hmm. feeling where at the end of the game, you're a little bit bitter at some people. Not everyone, but most people's experience. Yeah. But Sean is theme to the T. Mothership is all about theme and immersion, etc. It's beautiful. So Sean would always come up to me with hey this is what i have an idea and it and it was always a theme so he came with it like a, a robbery and the bank heist and hostages like that's a really cool theme but what's the game i have no idea but <laughs> this is this is kind of like the, a hostage exchange at some point and maybe the cops have to figure out who's actually the robber and who's not it was it's amazing he's very very talented at theme And I don't want to self-promote, but I think what I really go for is the feeling. And I think I've told you to this before, the dirty secret that's not too secret about Alan Girding me is that I don't actually like tabletop games. I don't like board games. Obviously, I do. But what I mean is what I like is the experience they provide. It is just a means to an end. And that end is A memory with friends. So I'm all about playing games that leave you with this memory that you can share potentially for the rest of your life, which is why I don't like games like Agricola
1: because (laughs) Agricola
0: is the most self-satisfying masturbatory thing you can do with someone else. It almost feels dirty. Like, I guess you're here playing this game with me. I don't know but look at me (laughs) taking what you wanted and using it in the way I want to. (laughs) Well, thanks
1: everyone for listening to this episode. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's understandable though. I mean, you want, uh, and I know this from playing games with you is anytime we're like, what games do you want to play? You're like, what takes five minutes and we're going to be laughing during. That's sort of, you know, your take on it, which is understandable because you want to come out of a game having enjoyed it, having connected with the people around the table You don't want to have resentment and be thinking, well, this lying bastard, I don't want to see him in this house again, you know?
2: Right. And I feel like you definitely get that with Two Rooms and a Boom. I've only played it a couple of times, and the couple of times I've played it have been with Alan. And so I remember the very first time I played it, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I'd never read the rules You were also
0: playing with Untested Expansions. Let's be very clear on that, Halo. That's
2: true. But, uh, you know, I was playing with a room full of strangers, and- you felt this connection like people were actually trying to help each other they're trying to direct me along I mean they didn't know what my role was and I didn't know do I show up my card or not but I didn't feel any hard hard feelings even if I went from room to room there wasn't that mean gameness that Delton talks about
1: definitely and it was the same with uh Gen Con 2019 last year when I came and volunteered with you guys uh we went one day and played it was outside the vendor hall, that group that sets up and plays two rooms two rooms in a boom all night. We showed up and everybody was immediately like, ooh, there's Alan. Let's get him to play games. And then you broke out some prototypey stuff to play with. And we played several games in a row. And just everybody was having a great time, having fun and laughing. And you know, every between every game, it was like in one game you're trying to deceive people. The next game you're trying to work as a team member. And it's so interesting that everybody there was just so excited to play and happy to play. And no one seemed to be in an ill mood, which was just fantastic. Thank you. Good job, I Alan. appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Thanks. That's that's what I'm going for. It's frustrating because if I get a group of friends together and they want to play a board game, I'm all for it. But I'm there to enjoy their company. So the reality is, if I get together with you two, I'm probably more looking forward to going to some vegan restaurant with you all or sharing stories or going on some adventure. Now, that adventure is a board game. Great. But that board game better do its job. It better not get in the way of us having a memorable time because I don't want to go over to Oklahoma, hang out your place just to do your damn taxes (laughs) and then leave.
1: So I guess uh, one question I can come up with off of that is, do you feel that it's different with people you see consistently versus people you don't see as often?
0: The answer is it is very different because if I see people very frequently, I don't play games with them. We end up just hanging out and doing other (laughs) things. So the people that I don't get to see that often, or maybe I don't know that well, we use this as the social lubricant Mm -hmm. to really get to know each other or board games. And that's great. I think that is the place for tabletop games is bringing that connectivity. Also, if you're with friends and you're not sure what to do, like, hey, how do we make sure this night's memorable? Because I also don't typically like parties either because parties are such a gamble because sometimes you go and they're loud and no one's really doing anything and there's this awkward pause in conversation. You end up talking about the weather, whatever. I kind of miss parties nowadays though because of <laughs> COVID-19. Yeah. Point is, I think the ideal Venn diagram overlap is good people and good activity. Any good activity is going to suck if you're with bad people and any good people will still be boring if you have no good activity to have with them. So ideally, you have good people and a good activity. And my belief is the job of a tabletop game is to provide that good activity to entice those memorable exchanges. That's it. Anything else? It's, uh, that's my opinion, and I'm not saying that's the what it, all games should be, because I totally get that di- p- different people are in it for different reasons. Some people want to see other people lose as much as they want to see themselves win. Mm-hmm. I get that. You want to get your viciousness out. Maybe you were raised and made fun of in school, and now this is your opportunity to finally make fun of someone while playing, I don't know, whatever crazy power grid game you're <laughs> playing. Boats and Roads. Oh, Roads and Boats. There you go. That's it. Roads and <laughs> Boats. And That's house. another one. Yeah, I, I know. I always want to call it Boats and Boats. But yeah, Roads and Boats. I see that game and I go, wow, that is impressive. I will never play that game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's also extremely expensive, which does not help its case to being played for me. But I also like those big thinky games that are You know, you're focused more on the game than the people sometimes. But we also don't play those often, as Haley will attest. Anytime we have friends over, it's usually the short games that we can play and chat during. And it's the same kind of thing, is you want to connect with your friends and have that good time, which is why it's mainly just me and Haley that play the really heavy games where it's almost just like you're doing a puzzle together, but not talking much. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: But, you know, I see what you're saying, Alan. Like, when we went to BGGCon, that was the first time I had gone to, like, an actual, I guess playing convention like that Mm -hmm. was what it was really um focused around like Gen Con knows like a purchasing convention with some play Cabin Con is like meet all these cool people and then let's play some games but like BGG Con like all we did was like lay out game on the table and we would have our sign and invite new people over and that's the thing that I remember I probably couldn't tell you half the games that we played but I really can remember the experiences the people that I met the connections that we made and that's what made it fun for me
0: exactly And I see where you're coming from, too, because the two of you know each other very well. Mm -hmm. And if you're both enjoying that aspect of the thinky games like Agricola or whatever you want to whatever game place your favorite thinky game here. I totally get that. And that's very romantic in a way. You're exercising this beautiful opportunity to flex your brain muscles with someone you already know and love. And hopefully you have a strong enough relationship where you're not doing it to see who's better, who's smarter. (laughs) That is the.
1: Not the every time. barrier
0: to entry. <laughs> not every. I know that you two talk about it often and that Haley usually wins. Yep. But the point is, there is a huge barrier to entry for most plebeians into the board game entry into the board gaming world. And that is they equate board games to chess and they think it's an exercise of intelligence. So if I ask you, hey, do you want to play chess with me? It's the equivalent of me asking you, hey, do you want to see if I'm smarter than you or not? Let's have a battle of intelligence. As a side note, chess is not a good measure of intelligence. You can be really good at chess and be an idiot.
1: It's (laughs) it's all memorization, but...
0: Yeah, that's not what people believe. People don't know that. And so they think, oh, you just want me to sit through some boring ass rules just so you can beat me up because you couldn't beat me up on the playground. So you're going to beat me up on your table. Great. (laughs) And that shouldn't be the case. Shouldn't be the case. But if you're in a loving, respectful relationship, And you're both getting into it with that mindset that you're just here having fun, flexing, and you're okay with losing and getting your butt kicked. In fact, maybe that'll even make you happy because you would see your partner in play also getting happy. That's wonderful. And I'm not trying to say that the only games that should ever exist are games that facilitate fun interactions. There's so much room for the thinky heavy Thinky time games. <laughs>
1: That's my definition. Of... I mean, I, I think it's it's obvious that those thinky games are going to be around because I mean, given the type of people who rate games on Board Game Geek are exactly the type of people you would think would rate games on Board Game Geek, and the heavy games tend to top the charts. So I mean, it's not like they're going away. However, there's a reason that none of those extremely heavy games are at Target, along with simpler games like Azul and you know, evolution and some of those games that people can get into more easily with their families. And so there is a space for those big games for sure, but um, there it's just a whole different mindset you have to enter those in.
2: I think that we can all agree there's room for all of these games at the table except Monopoly.
1: Yes. Oh! <laughs> I
0: don't hate Monopoly.
2: Oh, that is the one game that... So Delta and I actually played it from start to finish, yep. and it was about a four-hour process and there's only been like two times in our marriage that I think we've been legit mad at each other. I think that was one of them. <laughs> that was
1: definitely one of them.
0: <laughs> Monopoly is brutal for sure, but it has its place in introducing people into games. But it's also fascinating just as a cultural experiment because most people never play it the way you're supposed mm-hmm. to play. It. They never play it by the rules. And the rules are in there for a very good reason, and that's to streamline it, cut down the time, and it's still very brutal, yeah. though. A lot of people don't. Here's the big rule. And I'm sorry to pontificate and. No, you're <laughs> fine. Because <laughs> no, you yes, I'm sure everyone already knows it. The main rule that people get wrong isn't even the you get money if you land on free parking or whatever. The main rule is when someone goes bankrupt, you're supposed to auction off all of their goods where most people play it where, oh, I caused you to get bankrupt. So I get all of your things. That's not what is supposed to happen, because otherwise that's just king making. Ah. But anyway yeah you're also not supposed to barter anything but money and uh assets like hotels and that kind of stuff you're only supposed to barter money a lot of people say well i won't charge you the next time you're on here or hey i'm gonna sell you this for free or for one dollar whatever it's you're right monopoly (laughs) is highly flawed i don't hate it i think it has its cultural value but it's also cultural poison you're right you're right and i disagree at the same time it's
1: all of those things. Yes. Hey, that's the fun of tabletop games. Is yeah, one person can love something, the other person hates, and it's it's fine.
2: <laughs> I have to say, like I have only lost Agricola once. Uh, we've played it multiple times, and I every single once. Oh, every single time I've made it a vegan farm. I just want to let that's you know that's true. I have never like had my farmers never produce like meat or milk or anything like that. It's always been a vegan farm.
0: That's why I love you as do the animals. Yay! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even the little wooden animals in Agricola.
1: Even the wooden animal. Yeah, so good. I realized we (laughs) talked about social situations and board games being a social lubricant, completely foregoing the idea of another social lubricant we like to partake in, which is the beer. (laughs) We had a whole, this was supposed to be way earlier, but you know, we're going to make it work. So Alan, what are you drinking today? I know you do not drink alcohol. At least I have never seen it or witnessed it or heard of it. I don't. No, I don't.
0: Uh, I am drinking Huel. I've switched from Soylent, and I moved to Huel. Huel Black, yeah. Huel Black has fewer carbs, more protein, less sugars than Soylent does, and then even regular Huel does. It's it's pretty tasty, too. It is definitely not as tasty as the regular Soylent powder that I'm used to that's very sugary, which is actually one of my criticisms of Soylent. It's really hard to stop because I'll make... 2,000 calories worth of Soylent, shake it up, shake, shake, shake. And to me, it tastes like melted vanilla ice cream a little bit, like a vanilla milkshake. Although I gave it to Crystal. I said, doesn't this taste like melted ice cream? And she said, how long has it been since you've had ice cream? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So a lot of people disagree. Some people say that Soylent tastes like the leftover milk from Cheerios. Some Hmm. people say slightly sweetened pancake
1: batter. I think I was the one that said that the plain flavor was the like, Uh, not for like cornflakes milk. Yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah,
0: the leftover milk. Absolutely. But I switched to Huel. And let me tell you, there's different flavors of Huel. There's the plain Huel, which is dog biscuits. (laughs) And I mean that almost in the literal sense in that it tastes like, it doesn't matter what you mix it with. I've mixed it with peanut butter, vanilla. It's like, it tastes like I just put peanut butter on a dog biscuit. It's Hmm. very... Unedible. It's very difficult for anyone to consume. And that's the regular Huel. But then you get the flavored Huel, and that's what I'm drinking now Huel Black, which is like the next level of even healthier for meal replacements. It has a lot of flaxseed in it. It's very gritty, mm. but it does taste sweet. It's sweetened with coconut, but it doesn't taste coconutty. Yeah. So it surprises people when I say it's sweetened with coconut, uh, but it's good. It, the hardest thing to get through is probably the consistency having grit to it, but it's not. Something that's really swamp-like or sand-like. Just imagine you're drinking a smoothie, and it has that consistency. Because smoothie has little ice chunks, but instead of ice chunks, it's flassy chunks.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. That what are you all good. drinking?
0: So It's not bad. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll bring some next time we sure. see you. Yeah. Awesome. I've
1: actually been ordering the cocoa Soylent, and I like to take it to work for lunch if we don't make enough less leftovers from the dinner before. Uh, it's just something that's super easy for me and I like the chocolate one because I tend to get a sweet tooth in the afternoon and I take my lunches between one and two. So it's been like great for me to have something that I can put in my body that's calories and it tastes good and sweet and kind of cures that sweet tooth for a bit and keeps me going through dinner.
2: And it's been helpful in like your, your health journey too.
1: That's true. That's true because I drink it and try not to eat a whole bag of pretzels at the same time. <laughs> in your
0: opinion, how close is the cacao soylent to... Quick, Nestle Quick, chocolate. It's
1: been quick. so long since I've had Nestle Quick, I really couldn't say. Um based off my memory, I'm gonna say it's got not just not as sweet.
2: I'd say like if you go from Slim Fast to Nesquick as like a scale, like Slim fast being a one to Nesquick being a ten, I would say Soylent's like a seven to eight. Okay. If that got makes it. sense.
0: There you go. Yeah. Pro tip if you're curious. So if you take cacao soylent. And you mix in peanut butter powder, not just peanut butter, but the concentrated peanut butter powder that's been distilled down Mm -hmm. to the powder form. I don't know why, but it makes a huge difference. Because if you just put in regular old peanut butter in Soylent, it doesn't mix as well, probably because of the oil base. But if you get the powder stuff, and especially if you mix it with the cacao Soylent, Mm. Man, it tastes like Reese's peanut butter cup smoothie, and I've given it to people that even hate soylent, and they say, "Holy crap, this tastes like something you get from Dairy Queen or something like that." that. Now, of course, the nutritional value goes down because you're upping the sugar, but you're also increasing the protein. But yeah, it's you're increasing the joy. That's what matters the most. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It
1: becomes a candy sweet, I think, at that point. But it's delicious.
0: What are you all drinking?
1: So, we've talked about this in our recent episodes that Rough Tail Brewing Company here in Oklahoma has moved only three miles down the road from our house, so they have a to go window that you walk up to, buy some beers, and you can walk off site and it's been a lifesaver during this quarantine. like I said,
2: last episode, I've literally left my house three times since we've been in quarantine, and each of those three times have been to go to the Friday releases of their new brews.
1: Yes, it's amazing. So we've been buying Crowlers, which are one quart, which is like 30 or 32 ounces of beer. Uh, this one is Safe European Home. I don't remember what style of beer this is, but I've already cracked it and poured it. It's a nice amber color, produces a good head. It smells good. Haley, take a taste while I fill the space of your drinking, a little at least.
2: <laughs> Ooh, it's, it's really sweet. It kind of has the aftertaste of graham crackers. Like that cinnamon graham cracker flavor.
1: There is an aftertaste there. I don't get graham cracker, but something.
2: It's like a Great Value graham cracker. Not like the honey made ones, but like the Great Value brand, where it's still really weedy.
1: It is very sweet. A nice carbonation. It's not too crisp, but it's not heavy either. It's got a nice middle ground on mouthfeel. There is something like almost cinnamon spicy on the back. I wonder if they use uh, a little bit of the... Oh, I can't think of it. There's a malt they use in Belgian beers. Biscuit malt. It's like that uh, uh, that biscoff yeah. biscuity kind that's, that's of. That's why
2: it tastes like a graham cracker in the in the back. It yeah. tastes like the biscoff.
1: Mm. That's pretty dang good though.
0: Does it taste more like a sugary treat? Like the peanut butter cacao soylent? Or does it taste more like your regular friendly beer? Mm,
2: I would say more sweet, but it has it has the mouthfeel of a beer, but like with the taste of the sweet.
1: Yes, it's an odd combo. <clears throat> but, but it's not delicious. too odd.
2: It's really it's filling. That's what I like about Rough Tails beers, is that mm-hmm. they're not just watery. I'm going to drink this for the sake of drinking beer. It's actually filling and enjoyable and flavorful whenever you try one of their drinks.
0: Now, translating that to a Mm -hmm. non-drinker, does that mean it's the best of both worlds where it gives you the sipping experience while also giving you the satisfaction of a drink that you would just want to slam down and keep on drinking and drinking?
1: Yes, I would say so. Uh, If you can find a beer that has I don't know the alcohol content of this one, but in my personal experience, I prefer alcohol contents at about six to seven percent and up. Uh, I can go up to the 11, 13s, the beers that Haley's not a big fan of. Those are my favorite because you can sit and sip on them, get that little ethanol burn, almost like sipping a whiskey. But at the same time, you can take a couple big swigs and have the satisfaction of a refreshing beer. It's an interesting mix for some of the high alcohol beers. But I just find it as it blends those worlds together nicely.
2: Yes, seconded. Eloquent.
0: Let's let's create that continuum, then because the biggest gulping <laughs> alcohol beverage I can think of is probably wine coolers, where people don't even realize they're getting drunk yep. off their yep. ass because and they're just swinging them back, yep. right? But then we'll say like that's a one. What would the ten be? Where this is something where you can only sip. It's a very much. A sipping alcohol, like a beverage. scotch.
1: Well, I guess the it? I guess the issue there is if you're sipping it, it's not all the way to a tin because I feel like the li- the liquors that are at tins, you're only shooting it to get it down as fast as humanly possible.
2: I disagree because I feel like you can you can shoot a whiskey, but you can't shoot a scotch. Like if you shot a scotch, then something is I mean, very wrong with you're you. You're
1: just wasting good scotch. Yeah. So I I'm, feel I'm like thinking like I'm thinking like <laughs> White Lightning though. If somebody legit home brews White Lightning. Th- you're not going to just sip it. You're yeah. going to shoot it. No,
2: you white lightning something at you
0: sip.
1: No. Yeah.
0: Ooh.
1: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. That's the answer. Agricola. Do you say agricola? <laughs> yeah, is your fighting grounds. Let's take this to the table. <laughs> that's exactly how this works. <laughs> we're going to get out the crokinole board, and we're going to flick some discs. <laughs> I don't know if that's a euphemism. <laughs> it's not supposed to be, but it sounded that way after I said
2: it. Uh, use your imagination, Yes. <laughs>
0: It sounds
1: like a good drink
0: then, because it sounds, as you already stated, it, you get the satisfaction of a guzzling drink, like a wine cooler, with just a few sips. So it sounds like you would recommend this. Would you buy it again and again and again? Would it be a staple in your beer rotation? I think so. Yep. Um,
2: what, what I like about their beers is that we can, we can get a 32-ounce beer and uh, a crowler, and we can split it, and like we're good which Delton and I don't really, we don't really drink a whole lot anyway. Like, I know we have a beer and board game podcast. So we really don't drink that much. Um, but th- just getting one of their crawlers, it's, like, satisfying and satiating enough that we can just split one, and that's that's all that we need. So $7, and we're good for an evening.
1: Yeah, very true. We don't drink. We drink for the podcast, which is we only drink technically, usually 12 ounces of beer per episode, and then we maybe drink one or two other nights before the next episode. So, it's not as frequent as I think people probably think it is, uh, because health reasons mostly. Um, but it's nice that we can get something like this, and we do feel satiated. We don't have to go back for a second, and a third, and a fourth.
0: I have a question for another yep. continuum. This is fascinating to me as a non-drinker, and this is one of the things I love about your podcast: is both of you do a good job describing the beer that even as a non-drinker, I can appreciate the vicarious experience. Well, thank you. Let's talk about beer compared to gateway games so we have these gateway games we talked about these more mass market games that you'd find in target or walmart but we also have the most mass market which would probably be monopoly monopoly is probably the number one game maybe uno that most people know what would that be in beer form would that be just budweiser
2: i think uno be the wine cooler
0: yeah whoa 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 So Uno would be the wine cooler, which is pretty mass market as well.
2: Yeah, because everyone can kind of pick that up, and you can play that on a lot of wine coolers, I know, so I've read.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's simple enough. It's
2: simple enough. So yeah, I think that would definitely be Uno. What would be like the Keystone, Del?
0: Oh, the Keystone? Like Now, is Keystone the game? You're talking the game Keystone, so that's more... Because I'm wondering, this is the main question I have. What is the ultimate gateway... Beer to get oh. people oh. away from like the cores to actually show them that there's all these unique mixes and takes on what beer can be. So when ah. I'm trying to show people what it can be, a good gateway game would be Code names, saying like, mm-hmm. "Hey, do you like Code Names, classically people say Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride has that old school mass market feel of Monopoly, Payday, while still having some of the fresh new concepts." hard to say new nowadays (laughs) because Ticket to Ride's old (laughs) by today's standards. It's like
2: 15 years, right?
0: Yeah. But it's still considered one of the classic gateway games of just giving people that taste of what can be. Dipping your toes into the pool of the depths of where (laughs) tabletop games can really go. And then their eyes become wide open to this vast world of all the different types of board games. What is the beer that is the gateway? from going from your Bud Light to your crazy-ass IPs.
2: See, for me, and Delton might have a different opinion, you know, if you're you're looking to make that jump, I I won't necessarily say a beer brand, but if you're looking at a craft brewery, any craft brewery that you go to, look for the Pale Ale. Your Pale Ale is going to be your, I'm not going to necessarily say simpler beer, but it's going to be, kind of the middle ground between I drink Keystone and Kerr's. I like the the simple, the smooth taste, like no um ethanol after taste, no crazy flavors. That's gonna be your greatest transition into the craft brew scene. So any pale ale that you would get at a brewery. Well what would you say, Delt?
1: So along the same lines, uh I was thinking it's specific brand wise, the Sierra Nevada pale ale is just such ah, yes. a solid beer. You can find it pretty much everywhere. And exactly like you were saying, it's not too different from those, uh, you know, mass market beers. And it's, it's a big company, so you can find it wherever.
2: And it's more alcohol content than like your average Budweiser Keystone. So more bang for your buck.
1: That's true. My second answer I was also thinking is uh, New Belgium's Fat Tire. Yes. It's an amber ale, and it's extremely popular. You can buy it on a flight with Southwest. It's like five bucks a can. Uh, It was the first time I ever got to try it was on a flight with Southwest. I was like, wait, this is here? Because we used to not get it in Oklahoma. And that's a very, very good beer. It's pretty gentle. It's a little bit richer being an amber. Uh, Some people like amber beers already. And it's just it it introduces you to a bit of a darker beer without going as crazy as like Guinness, which for some people, Guinness is way too dark, way too thick, which is understandable because it's like drinking, I don't know, heavy cream in beer form. Yeah,
2: that's true. Yeah. I second that, Delty. Yeah, so Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale or uh, Fat Tire's or New Belgium's Fat Tire.
0: Yeah. What I would love to see from the two of you, homework assignment. Okay. You don't have to engage. If you choose to accept this mission, I would love to see that 10-point scale where it goes from very basic mass market all the way to extreme, almost like the show Hot Ones where they up the Ah. spiciness of each wing so you start mm-hmm. with the most overused banal beer and then buy the 10th beer. It's the craziest tasting. Is this even a bigger beer? And I would love to see that scale and almost make it a, a challenge where then people could buy those 10 beers and taste how they're getting drunker and drunker. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> that sounds, by the time they get the to beer? the 10th beer, they're just they don't care anymore.
1: Oh, that'd be so great. I think
2: that'd be fun. That'd be a great video.
1: I think but it would. You? We could set up some kind. We'd have to figure out how we're going to set up, like what we'll do during that. But we could definitely do like just split the beers, you know, six ounces of each beer, because the higher quality of the, up the scale that goes, most likely the higher alcohol content, which means by the end of it, you know, it's there's going to be a little sloppiness going on.
0: You could simplify it into the Likert scale, classic five instead of 10. But what an amazing time to be doing this this video or whatever right? because what else are people going to be doing right now I, I it's think a that's great a great
2: idea because we already have been pairing the the random liquor in our cabinet with board games have you seen that Alan our random uh, series we've been doing lately or I've been doing
0: yes yes keep up the great work y'all <laughs> I'm a huge fan and I'm so sorry that my Patreon credit card was cancelled <laughs> and then I got a new one and then I was like oh I'm finally going to do it and then this is absolutely a true story it was just stolen virtually so oh, also no. my bank called me and said hey did you make charges in california in georgia and south dakota for thousands of dollars no i did not do that like yeah your credit card has been compromised do you have it on you i'm like yeah it's in my hands right now like yeah you can't use it anymore anyway i'm actually <laughs> been in this credit card limbo not being able to buy anything Ooh. but when i do get that credit card back on your patreon <laughs> Can't wait. So keep up the good work.
1: We We appreciate it. We very much appreciate it. And And it's no worries.
2: (laughs) And we accept your challenge. We're going to make that video.
1: That's very true. We will make that video. Hey, make sure you give me all the credit. Not all the credit. We will. (laughs) So we wanted to ask you a question that we thought was relevant since you are part of the board game community, tabletop game community, however you want to phrase it. Uh, We wanted to ask you, what change is it that you want to see within the tabletop industry? um that hasn't that you haven't seen yet or is at least um not fully realized
0: that's a tough question it's a big one it is a big one because there's so many different ways to answer it there is the very specific mechanics detail of what do i want to see in the games themselves there's the huge big picture of the societal like what is evil in the world that i want to see change and so i could take that question and apply it just to society in general? Or do you mean just me personally, as far as like what I want to see difference in myself, in the industry? So I could ask you to narrow that question a little bit, if you'd like. Do you do? do you mean specifically with board games? Do you mean in the world, the community with the players in the community? Or do you mean more in my microscopic vision of myself in the community?
2: Let's do the Microsoft Right. Gross. I can't speak. Microsoft <laughs> version of you.
0: <laughs> Microsoft Which is Alan. actually apropos because I have a whole bunch of glitches and constantly need updates myself.
2: <laughs> hey, we still run effectively.
0: For me, I would love to just keep on appreciating the changes. I think the tabletop industry is a great petri dish sample of what is going on in society at large. And that's probably true with a lot of microcosmic societies. So we have this small culture of the tabletop community and what you see happen within this community also happens everywhere else in the world. you see prejudice, sexism, et cetera, you see the adaptive changes, you see language changing, et cetera. And it feels like it's amplified in the tabletop industry, but it probably only feels that way because that's where I am in. So I see it so much within that industry. It's probably happening all over the place, but I see it firsthand so readily in the tabletop industry. So what I'd like for myself is just to not be that curmudgeon old person saying, get off my yard! I remember the good old days when this was this and that was that. So whether it be mechanically, in games, or societally, not to be too much of a curmudgeon and just breathe and accept the changes. We even talked today about how I really like tabletop games that offer a memorable experience without the whole super thinky-timey games. But I don't want to be so judgmental that I don't even give those thinky-time games a chance. I want... Those Euro games to live and thrive and for me to be more accepting and not judgmental. An example of this was my family brought this game. Oh, there's this amazing game. We got it for you for Christmas. We can't wait for you to play it. It's relative insanity. The game is Cards Against Humanity, but it's written by Jex Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy, Cards Against Humanity, right? (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) And they they think it's amazing. But my mind, I'm like, this is bullshit, man. This is just Cards Against Humanity. Yay, we're going to play more Cards Against Humanity. And I feel like it almost, re- I got to let that go. Just like, hey, you know what? This is obviously making everyone in the room happy. Instead of being some elite, erudite, know-it-all board gamer, just enjoy it and enjoy the fact that it's making people smile. I know that's a lot easier said than done because there is some egregious game theft that does happen in our industry, and I think you just have to address it on a case-by-case basis. Like, if someone's buying Red Flags, I want to tell them, hey, just so you know, that game totally stole that from Razzlo's Billionaire Banshee. So I would recommend instead of buying Red Flags and promoting Red Flags, you should buy Billionaire Banshee. But at some point, you also just have to just relax and enjoy everything. So for me personally, I think it's just go with it, go with the flow, be more accepting and only really speak up if I think something truly egregious is happening. And even then, understand that everyone is trying to come from a good place. I don't think people are waking up saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make everyone live a miserable life. Yeah, I want the world to be worse. No, we all live <laughs> in this place together. so. I know I'm already rambling, but for me, it's just relax, don't judge, accept. I mean, I think. In the that's words of great. David
2: Bowie, turn and face the strange. Changes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love me some David Bowie. He was one that I definitely cried over when he died. Cause man, I love I loved him in Labyrinth.
2: Yes. Well, yeah. I I really I really like what you said there, Alan. You know. Um, go with the flow, enjoy the games for really what they are. I mean, like you said, speak up whenever you feel like there's something that's not right or something that is being looked over, but really just, just enjoy it as it goes. Enjoy it for what it is. It's the games to bring bring people together and it's to have fun.
1: Yeah. I think that that's going to wrap up this episode, which is episode number 64. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games podcast. Before we run, I'm going to shout out the Patreon backers. So thank you, Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. And it sounds like future Alan again. Yes.
0: (laughs) So sorry that I'm not on that list right now, but I'll get back on it.
1: I owe you so much money. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 not at all. Uh, If you want to check us out on social media, make sure to follow us at Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find us on all social media. And make sure to check us out on twitch.tv slash Malthouse Games. We are actually streaming, drinking some beer and playing some board games every Friday night starting at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and going anywhere between 9, 10, maybe even to 11 o'clock. So we'll stream for several hours playing some games and you can come join us and chat with us. If you have a topic you want us to cover, a question for us to answer, or a game you want us to take a look at, Make sure to send us an email contact at malthousegames.com. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D E L T O N B R A C K, and you can find Haley at S Q U I R R E L Y G E E K at Squirrely Geek. Make sure to definitely follow at PlayTKG on Twitter. Find Tuesday Night Games all around. And Alan, is there anything you would like to shout out and any other emails, handles, things like that?
0: No, you just did a great job. Oh. That was really good. You can. Email us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com, too, I guess, or me directly, Alan, at TuesdayNightGames.com. But you nailed it, sir. Oh, check out Mothership, the role-playing game. It's a big deal. won an award. If so they that's won the an Any
1: Award, which is huge. Amazing. Game of the year, baby. I think yes. my favorite part, I'm just going to shout out being there for this. When we were at the Any Awards at Gen Con and Mothership won, And Sean's music hit, which is DNA by Kendrick Lamar. I was like, they let this be the song, but it was also like the most badass thing to walk up to. And I felt like Sean felt like a rock star, which he should have, because that was awesome as well as Don and Fiona, because it's just, I mean, it it was awesome to see those wins. But that song just, it gave me a giggle. And now I listen to that song and I just think about Sean strutting up to to the stage.
0: Living the dream. Sci-fi horror role-playing game.
1: Yes. Check it out. <laughs> it is something I really want to play. I have read through it and building a world, and I'm super excited to finally sometime sit down and actually play some Mothership.
0: We should uh, get you two in on a game. I'll host a game for you two. Yeah, that'd be great. That, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was- and then you, just, you can release it on your podcast if you want to. Or, my, or, or we whatever. just do
1: both. We just cross-promote. Yeah, there we go. Like hey, crossover
2: episode like the Flintstones and the Jetsons.
1: That's another sound effect you need for it. That's so great. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Bye. Bye. Toodles.